Um, I'd like to go ahead and transition to our scripture reader this morning. And uh, so Alex, I believe, is the scripture reader. If you could go ahead and come up. Uh, He'll be reading from the book of Acts for us this morning in Bulgarian. Every week we try to uh, have the uh, scripture passage read in a different language to reflect the fact that the gospel goes to all nations, as we see in the book of Acts. Thank you. Good morning. Scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 18, and I'll read verses 5 through 7 in Bulgarian. А когато слязоха, а когато сила и Тимотея слязоха от Македония, Павел беше принуждаван от своя дух да свидетелства на юдеите, че Исус е Христос. Но понеже и те се противяха и хулеха, то отърси дрехите си и рече: Кръвта ви да бъде на главите ви. Аз съм чист от нея. От сега ще отива между езичниците. И като се премести оттам, дойде в дома на някого си на име Тит Юст, който се кланеше на Бога и чиято къща беше до синагогата. Now verses 8 through 11 in English. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Good. Thank you, Alex. Good morning, church family. If you're new, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's really good to be together in person after missing last week due to a snowstorm. Uh, (laughs) See, I'm from Alaska, and we just call that a Tuesday. So um, I will, I do have to confess. so, you know, in order to pull off the service, we had a skeleton crew of people here, some musicians, some production folks, and it just so happened, like Ben, was, uh, or his wife Chrissy was playing cello, like they're from Southern California, John was preaching, John the weatherman was preaching, he's uh, from Texas, Derek was on keys, he's from Florida, I had to pick up Myung, so I'm driving around with like people, like, like we have like Californians and Texans and Floridians, like, and I'm just driving around like, yeah, this is fun, I had so much pride in my heart, I just need to <laughs> confess that to you. <laughs> Uh, we are in the book of Acts, and we're heading towards the conclusion of the book of Acts. We're getting close to the end. Uh, a couple more months, a little bit after Easter, we'll wrap up. Uh, we are likely, after the book of Acts, I just want to put this before you to be thinking about, uh, we are likely to do a, a short little topical series that we at Sound City have done uh, a couple of times in years past, a series called Things That Are Hard to Do in which we basically just take certain tough topics and we just address them head on. If you go to our website, you can look under the sermons. <clears throat> We've done this in years past. It's, it's hard to share the gospel. It's hard to talk about biblical sexual ethics in our current culture. It's hard to understand the end times. It's hard to hold people accountable. And so I just am putting this before you, the people of our church family. If there are things that you have wrestled with, Uh, I want you to send them to me, email them to me, uh, get them to me so that we can uh, make this series to serve the church family well. Things that are hard to do. And then after that, I'm hoping, by God's grace, to launch into uh, a, a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew. So that's where we're going after the book of Acts. Speaking of things that are hard to do, and speaking of musicians, I learned today that Ben transports this upright bass in a Prius. <laughs> if the, <laughs> That's not the definition of biblical manhood. I don't know what is, bro. So good job. Good job. Um, okay, we need to pray and get on target here. Stop messing around. 
John, you made one joke, and now it's all off the rails. So, uh, Lord, we bring our hearts before you today. We thank you for joy. We thank you for the ability to gather together as your people. We thank you for bringing us here together safely today. And God, I ask and I pray that each and every single one of us right now would bring our hearts open before you and your word. Lord, that we would be willing to lower those defenses that just so naturally rise up in our flesh. And I ask and I pray, Spirit, that you would uh, make your presence known here among us. God, you are not far off and distant. You are present in this room with us right now. You are present in the, in the living rooms and the homes of those who are joining us online. The Holy Spirit of God, you've actually taken up residence within us who have placed our faith in Jesus. And so would that not be some abstract doctrinal idea, but would it be a reality for us today? Guard my lips and guide my speech as I teach from your word and give us all hearts uh, that just burn with affection for our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So a few weeks ago, as if we haven't been through enough already as a nation, America had to endure watching Tom Brady win a seventh Super Bowl ring. And on the sports radio that I was listening to, they were arguing about, one guy goes, you know, Tom Brady didn't even really have that great of a game. It was the defensive line for the Bucs that really, you know, t- you know, neutralized the offense of the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. And they were kind of arguing back and forth about who gets the credit. Who gets the credit? Tom Brady or the defensive line? Who gets the credit? And one of the guys, I don't even remember who goes, well, they all get a ring, so I guess it doesn't really matter. And that made me curious. I'm kind of curious at times, so I, I got on the old Google machine and I started to search, how does one get a Super Bowl ring? Who all gets a Super Bowl ring? And I learned this week that every year the NFL authorizes each winning team to produce 150 Super Bowl rings. And the ownership can pay to then produce more if they want, but they get to give them out to whomever they want. So your starting players, obviously, you're going to get Super Bowl rings. Your special teams players are going to get Super Bowl rings. Your backup players are going to get Super Bowl rings. But I was reading that over the years, teams have sometimes given them to like injured players who didn't even play a single snap in the whole year. They still get at the end of the day, they still get a Super Bowl ring. I found out that sometimes they give them to people that work in like the front office or the marketing department. I learned that several NFL cheerleaders have been given Super Bowl rings. I want a Super Bowl ring, okay? That's what I'm trying to say here. When is Pastor Appreciation Month? October? All right, start planning now. Who gets the credit in a situation like that? Who gets the glory? Who gets the credit? And it's interesting, you know, as a a sports analogy, but I think that in our lives as human beings, all of us, we we like to feel recognized. We like to feel appreciated. And there's nothing wrong with with seeking to be encouraged or to be uh, appropriately recognized for the work that we do. But the problem is for many of us in our hearts, we desire recognition in such a way that it robs us of the affection and the recognition that we already have from our God. And it's really interesting, in, in, in Acts chapter 18, we're going to really focus in for most of the chapter in the city of Corinth. And if you know anything about Corinth, if you've ever read 1st or 2nd Corinthians, you know that this church community has some remarkable gifts and some remarkable rivalries because of those gifts. Seeking recognition. In fact, right at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, we're, we're going to meet a guy named Apollos in chapter 18. It, the, the, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes, I hear that you guys are fighting over who follows Paul and who follows Apollos. Like, what is the deal with that? 
We're all on the same team. We're all going to get the same Super Bowl ring at the end of the day. Why are you fighting about who's more gifted? As we, as we go through this chapter, we're going to meet a whole host of characters. It really is remarkable how many different people are involved in this chapter. And, and we're going to see that they don't all play the same role. But because of the fighting we know that does eventually take place in Corinth, I simply want to ask a question in light of this. I want to ask a question for each and every single one of us to consider as we go through this chapter, and it's simply this. Where do you seek your recognition? Where do you seek the pat on the head, the pat on the back, the good job, the well done? Where do you go to get that? Verse 1. After this, after uh, Paul went into Athens and created a ruckus, he left Athens and he went to Corinth. And Corinth is a big city, by the way. Corinth is like, I want to say it's like top five largest cities in the Roman Empire. Major metropolitan area. So from Athens to Corinth, he's, in the, he's not in the sticks anymore. And there in Corinth, he met a, a Jewish guy named Aquila. He's a native of Pontius, but he'd recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. It's interesting, you can read about this in the history books. Emperor Claudius expelled all Jewish people from Rome. And he did this, one of the history books has this little Latin phrase, I'll probably butcher it, I won't say it right. Uh, Suetonius is the author who writes it. He says that he got rid of all the Jewish people for impulsore cresto. It's roughly translated as like, the instigation about Christ. That the followers of Jesus were also creating a ruckus in Rome. So the emperor Claudius kicked them all out. Interestingly, when Claudius died, Nero became emperor, and he did away with that edict, so the Jewish people came back in. During that time, though, the community of Jesus followers in Rome was predominantly, if not exclusively, made up of Gentiles. All of a sudden, the Jewish people show back up. When Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he's dealing with a lot of Jew-Gentile tensions. That historical context helps us read the book of Romans better. And at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says, Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. So I think they got to go back home eventually. But for now, they are refugees who have been forced away from their homeland, living in a part of the world that is not their home, and they're working with their hands, lower class, working with their hands, refugees. Paul came to them since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade. And by the way, when you hear tent makers in the Bible, don't think Cabela's. People weren't going camping for fun back then because they were smarter than we are, okay? You want to go have a bad night's sleep and be cold and get bitten by bugs? Have fun camping. Go do it. It's going to be great. When they say tent making, uh, this is like for merchant shops or even for soldiers in war or all sorts of like awnings or canopies, a wide variety of materials that they would work with. And Paul, as a Jewish rabbi, uh, it's pretty common in this time of history for rabbis to also have a secondary occupation so that they can teach at the synagogue free of charge and provide for themselves by doing a job during the week. Priscilla and Aquila are also tent makers. He's a tent maker. They meet, they set up shop together, so he stayed with them and he worked. But on the Sabbath days, on Saturdays, he would go to the synagogue every weekend and try to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Okay, so we're building our team here. We're building our roster. We've got Paul. I mean, for crying out loud, it's Paul. 
a once-in-a-generation sort of talent. I mean, once in a, honestly, like a once-in-a-human-history kind of talent. It would be hard to overstate how much impact the Apostle Paul has had on the course of human events. And the Apostle Paul knew that what he was doing was really important. You think about the words also when he wrote to the Corinthians about how the Lord gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble because of the surpassing great revelations that he was experiencing. Paul is Paul. He's like, move over Tom Brady. It's Paul, okay? But you've also got Priscilla and Aquila. Refugees, lower class, working class, quiet, faithful, steady, supportive. They're not the star of the show, but they're helping work with Paul to support him. Let's keep going. Verse 5. We're building out our team here. Now Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Paul devoted himself to preaching the word. We've already met Silas and Timothy in previous chapters, but I'm going to put them in the category of what we might think of as like associate pastors. They're not necessarily the one, kind of the lead guy, but they're on the team. They're working with Paul. And something about them showing up makes it so that Paul can now devote himself to preaching more full-time. Many scholars think that they showed up with a financial gift from the churches in Macedonia. So now Paul has a financial means that was delivered by these associate pastors. They're helping him do ministry. He can devote himself full-time to preaching the word and testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And Paul himself, uh, in the book of Romans, he says that, that he would go to hell if it meant that his fellow Jewish countrymen, his brothers, according to the flesh, could be saved and have faith. And he goes into this long explanation. I don't know why there's this hardening, but God's going to use the hardening of the hearts of some of these Jewish people so that the gospel message will go out to the Gentiles, to the other people groups of the world. So we've got Paul, we've got Priscilla and Aquila, now we've got Silas and Timothy, associate pastors. Verse 7. So he left there, left the synagogue, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus a worshiper of God whose house was next door to the synagogue. This is likely a Gentile person who lives next door to the synagogue and worships the God of Israel, a God-fearer. We've seen these type of people a number of times throughout the book of Acts. A God-fearer. And he's hospitable. He's opening up his house to let Paul stay there. So he's like, he's like, well, keep, keep, keep going because there's, there's Crispus. Any of you expectant mothers, okay? If you find out that you are going to have a boy, put Crispus on your short list of names. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and they were baptized. So, like, revival's breaking out in Corinth. Paul didn't have as much good success in Athens or other places. Here, just like, boom, it's like fish jumping in the boat. And you got... Titus Justice, or I just call him Justice, and Crispus, who are involved in leading the synagogue. You almost would kind of think of this, in my mind, I think of this like Crispus, as the leader of the synagogue, would have had another occupation. He's like a volunteer elder. He's like a guy that serves in leadership over the community of faith, and he's, but he's volunteering. And then you've got Justice, who like lives next door and uses his house. He's like a, he's like a deacon of hospitality or something. Guys just faithfully serving, 
Now, many of the Corinthians, when they heard, they believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent for I'm with you. And no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. I love that verse. There's people out there in our cities right now who belong to the Lord. They just don't know it yet. Lord, use us. So Paul stayed there for a year and a half. It was way longer than anywhere else he stayed. A year and a half teaching the word of God among them because he's got this crew. He's got his Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy and Crispus and Justice and many, many others who are serving in their various roles. So he gets a dream from the Lord that says, put down roots. How, How encouraging must that dream have been, by the way? Last time he had a dream, it was, I want to go to Macedonia. And the Lord showed up and said, don't you dare go to Macedonia. This time he's like, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. That'd be an encouraging dream to get. All right, verse 12. Now, while Gallio, Gallio, this guy. While Gallio, seriously. While Gallio, Gallio, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack. When we're selecting the verses for the scripture readers, we don't give them verses like that because we love them, okay? When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, let's say it quick and confident, move on. The Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. This man, they said, is persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Okay, Gallio, real quickly, Gallio is actually a fairly significant historical figure. And there's been some recent archaeological findings, I want to say within the last decade or so, that helped date this time, that Gallio was only the proconsul of this region for a short period of time, so we can know with relative specificity within about a year, year and a half time frame when Paul was in Corinth. It's kind of interesting. You know what else is interesting is Gallio is the brother of a very famous Roman philosopher named Seneca. You ever heard of Seneca? He, Seneca was actually a tutor to Nero, the emperor Nero. So Seneca is very famous, and one time he wrote about his brother. He wrote something in one of his writings about Gallio where he said, no other human being is so charming to just one person as he is to all people. Gallio is a charming, likable, pleasant, affable dude. So these Jewish people bring Paul before Gallio, who just wants to be liked. And as Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, look, if this was a matter of wrongdoing or a serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. But if these are questions about words, names, and your own law— See to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of such things. Ain't nobody got time for that, is what he's saying. This is some stupid thing about your religious arguments. I couldn't care less. Go away from me. I'm trying to be liked here. So he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes. Who's that? The leader of the synagogue. I thought... Uh, Crispus was the leader of the synagogue. Is this another leader of the synagogue, like a co-leader? Is it the guy who took over after Crispus became a follower of Jesus and the synagogue said, you can't lead us anymore? We have no idea. Here's Sosthenes. Tell me about Sosthenes. They grabbed him and they beat him in front of the tribunal, but none of these things mattered to Gallio. <laughs> wow, okay. S- sorry, Sosthenes? Like, who, who are you? So, you know, we don't even know if he's actually a follower of Jesus or not. 
He's just some leader in the synagogue. Maybe the Jewish leaders beat him up because he'd lost control of the synagogue. Maybe they beat him up because he had become a follower of Jesus. I pray, Lord willing, we'll get to meet him in heaven one day and ask him. He's like, yeah, I get one verse in the Bible and it's me getting my butt whooped. Like, really? We don't know much about him, but God knows. God knows. Verse 18, after staying for some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So he's got them traveling with him now. He shaved his head at Centre because of a vow he had taken. Everyone here has done that at some point, right? Pretty normal. Um, what most scholars believe is that this is related to a Nazarite vow. If you can look back in the pages of the Torah, a Nazarite vow, it's what Samson lived under. Don't cut your hair. Don't eat any, not, not only don't drink wine, don't eat any grape product whatsoever. It's a vow of dedication to the Lord, a special season of dedication to the Lord. What many commentators think is after Paul received that vision, that dream from the Lord, is when he took this vow for as long as he stayed in Corinth, he would live as a Nazarite because he was experiencing such fruitful ministry there. Now that he's leaving, he's going back to his regular uh, hairstyle. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined, but he said farewell and said, I'll come back to you again if God will. So he just takes off from Ephesus. Brief little stop. Don't worry. We're coming back to Ephesus next week, and it's going to be a riot. Literally. On landing at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. Antioch's been kind of like home base for where all of this Gentile missionary work is going on. So after some, spending some time there, he set out, traveling through one place after another in the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Paul is back on the road. That year and a half of camping out in Corinth, good, but now he's just here, there, he's everywhere. Last person to meet, though, Apollos. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian. Whoa. You see that? You're not as impressed as I am, I can tell. An Alexandrian. Alexandria is like, it's like, I mean, it's Alexandria. Alexander the Great. It's the city he named after himself with massive libraries and sculptures and art and, and like scholarly work comes out of Alexandria. Uh, there's a famous Jewish philosopher named Philo, Philo of Alexandria. In fact, the Septuagint, the Old Testament, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures was produced in Alexandria. This is like, this is like saying, oh, somebody, you know, you know, they went to Harvard or a musician that went to Juilliard or something like that, right? You're from Yakima or I don't know what, right? Somewhere, somewhere prestigious. <laughs> a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, he's an eloquent man who was competent in use of the scriptures. He arrived in Ephesus. Oh, he probably had beautiful hair too. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Oh, I like this guy. Being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. Although, he did have a flaw. He only knew about John's baptism. The baptism of John in the river, the, the washing of water for the repentance of sins. He didn't know about the Holy Spirit baptism where the Holy Spirit now takes up residence in the lives of those who profess faith in Jesus and trust in him for salvation. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but, but Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him, and so they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Isn't that awesome? Quiet, 
helper, refugee, immigrant, working class, husband and wife team are now teaching the teacher more accurately the ways of the Lord. So he wanted to cross over to Achaia, so all the brothers and sisters, the, 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 the followers of Jesus, they wrote a letter to the disciples to welcome Apollos. And after he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Good job, Apollos, and good job, Priscilla and Aquila, for helping him up his game. Now he gets to go minister more of God's grace to the people in this region. Now, I want to do this. I want to put this list of names up on the slide here for you to look at because we've, we've seen a lot of people and they have a lot of different roles to play. Obviously, Gallio is not a, uh, that we know they ever became a follower of Jesus, but, but there's something about each of these people in this quest for recognition. I just want to, I want to float some ideas out here, okay? I want to float some ideas out here. Paul. Paul knew that he was on a mission from God. Do you think Paul would have ever been tempted to find his recognition and his affirmation in the importance of his work? I'm doing all this for God. I'm doing all this for God. This is very important. Recognize me. Aquila and Priscilla, supportive and wise, they, they seem like they're, the, they're that couple that just, you just want to have around. They, they're very helpful. They'll show up. They'll help you. Do you think they would have ever faced a temptation? I'll get my recognition from being so very helpful. I'll be so helpful and supportive, and then people will know how important I am and how valuable I am. What about Silas and Timothy? I mean, they're not the stars of the show, but doggone it, they're hanging with him. They're on the short list of names. Timothy's on the pastoral succession shortlist. I'm not the greatest one, but I could get my recognition from hanging around greatness. I'm in proximity to greatness. What about guys like Justice or Crispus? Just faithful guys, just serving, just always there, always faithful. That's my identity. That's what, that's what gives my life meaning and it's just always working and always being faithful and always being present. And what about a guy like Gallio? Sure seems like he wanted recognition from being a good-natured, don't-rock-the-boat-don't-cause-fight sort of a guy. I'll get my recognition from everybody liking me. Think <laughs> about Sosthenes. Somebody like Sosthenes, I'll, I'll, I'll never get the recognition that I deserve. I only got one stinking Bible verse. <laughs> Apollos, so gifted, so talented. From Alexandria. It is my personal quest to get you more impressed about that Alexandria thing. Like, when I say Alexandria, I want, like, gasps. Like, <gasps> I mean, come on. A guy like Apollos? I stand up and I speak and people love my preaching and that's what gives me recognition. I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but do you, do you see yourself somewhere in, in one or more of these people? Do you see yourself seeking recognition anywhere besides from God himself. Think about this, friends. We, we all do this. We all want to know that our life matters. We all want to know that our life has meaning because of something in us, but we already have all of that and so much more from our Heavenly Father, do we not? And we, we know that we are uniquely created by God. 
The psalmist says that, that before you were ever born, the Lord saw your unformed substance and he put you together in your mother's womb. And as you walk through life, you are uniquely known by God. Jesus says in Luke that the very hairs on your head are numbered. He knows when you have a good day. He knows when you have a bad day. He knows your personality type, your likes, your dislikes. He knows you better than you know yourself. You're uniquely created by God. You're uniquely known by God. And in Christ, you are uniquely saved by God. Because when Jesus came to die and to rise again, to offer his life as the payment, the sacrifice for our sins, and to to give himself up as an atoning offering, he did not do that with his eyes shut, but with his eyes wide open, knowing exactly what he was doing. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had ever repented, before we'd ever come and asked for forgiveness, God was moving toward us in love through the person and the work of Jesus. If you're here today and you do not know this saving grace, this forgiveness, this love, this assurance that comes through Jesus, today is the day to trust in him. Give your life to him, believe in him, and receive not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life. Because we, at the end of the age, believe that we will be uniquely rewarded by God. That there will come a day when the skies split open and Jesus returns and we all stand before him, not on account of our own moral righteousness, but on the account of him who lived perfectly and died and rose again for us. And we will get to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, at the end of the age. That's some good news today. That is our reward. That is our recognition. Friends, you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are united to Christ. You are united to Christ. And therefore, what is true of Jesus is now true of you as well. When the voice of the Father echoed out, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, now your heavenly Father says the same of you because you are united by faith to Jesus. But God, I have all these flaws. I have all these weaknesses. I know we're working on them, but I love you with the same love that I love my very own son, Jesus. But, but God, I'm not very gifted. I'm not very talented. I'm not like a Paul or an Apollos. I'm, I'm not even like a Priscilla or Aquila. I can't, I can't do things. I'm not very good. I, I know you are loved and you are valuable simply because God created you in his image and likeness and because he has redeemed you through the blood of his precious son, Jesus. We gotta get that through our heads. We gotta get that into our hearts because our hearts are deceitful. We are not often the best judge of our own motives. Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why am I going around? Something, okay, something is... um, In my role, standing up in front of a room full of people, heck, I think this is even on the internet for crying out loud, so I could feel very important and this is what makes me get recognition and and validation. I have to check my heart all the time about this. Why why do I want to get up and preach? And, And maybe you have a different role. Maybe it's in your workplace. You're always doing things to help someone, but it's not actually all that altruistic. There's a hook. You're you're trying to do it to get recognition taking on extra projects at work, staying late, coming early. Because you want the recognition from some human when you already have all of the recognition and the affirmation from God that you could ever handle. So what do we do with our hearts? How do we figure this out? I'm going to offer a few thoughts. Number one, 
you got to accurately self-assess. In the book of Romans, when Paul is writing to, among other people, Priscilla and Aquila, he says, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Instead, think sensibly or think with sober judgment. Because God's distributed a measure of faith to each one. And he goes into this list. Some people have a gift of this. Some people have a gift of that. Some people are good at this. Some people are good at that. Don't get jealousy and, and, and fighting. Just, just look soberly at who you are. What is your role? What is your part? What has God gifted you to do? Accurately self-assess. And that includes accurately self-assess the motives that are driving you to do the things that you're doing. Our hearts are, they're, they're slippery. They're, they're all full of justifications and excuses and reasons for things. You've got to accurately self-assess. Number two, you've got to put jealousy to death. In, in 2 Corinthians, he writes to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians, by the way. There's, there's 1 Corinthians and then there's 2 Corinthians, but we also know that there's another letter before either of them and one in between. So really, this is like 4 Corinthians. This letter, he's written, he spent a year and a half in Corinth personally raising up leaders and discipling people. He has written four letters that we can tell to this church in Corinth. And here, at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, I want to come visit you, and I'm just really afraid that when I show up, I'm going to find a church marked by jealousy. They're still dealing with it after all of those years. Friends, jealousy or, or comparison is a soul killer. Comparison is a soul killer killer. You sitting there thinking, well, I've got this gift, and, but I don't have what they have, and I wish I had what they had, and I wish I could do this part of the body, or I wish I had, I wish I had their marriage, I wish I had their gifts, I wish I had their kids, I wish I had their talents, I wish whatever it is, it's going to absolutely eat your lunch. You have to put jealousy to death. Jealousy has no place in a heart that knows that you have the recognition of the God who hung the stars in the heavens. Number three, trust Jesus with your reward. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And he basically, he goes and gets some people in the morning, says, hey, I need, I need workers. I'll pay you a day's wage. And they're done, let's go. They're working. And then they notice the boss man leave and he goes and gets some more people a few hours later, like later in the morning. We need more workers. I'll pay you a day's wage. He goes out again after lunch, gets some more people. He goes out an hour before quitting time. Hey, I still need more workers. I, I just, I gotta have more workers. I'll pay you a day's wage. At the end of the day, whistle blows, goes to settle up with him, pays them all the same amount. Somebody was really upset about that. Any fair-minded people in here kind of cringe when you read that parable? The point is, Trust Jesus with your reward. Whether you're a, a front and center preacher like Apollos or a behind the scenes person like Justice, you know who's going to get the crown of life at the end? All who are faithful to Jesus. You know who's getting the Super Bowl ring? All of us. All of us. The crown of life. The crown of righteousness which is promised to all who are faithful. Play your part. Do your role. Trust him with the reward. And then lastly, number four, we need to recognize and encourage others. It isn't, I said at the very beginning, it's not wrong to want encouragement. It is wrong 
to seek recognition that we already have from God, from other human beings. But we could do a better job of being encouraging to other people. I actually think that's something we as a church could, we we do okay, we could do better. We could grow in this, being encouraging. And and even when I say encouraging, try to be specific. If you're going to give a word of encouragement to someone, try to be specific. Look at who they really are and the contributions that they they make and, and look at the motivations that are driving them. Try to be specific with your encouragement because in so doing, we get to display the love of God by being an encourager. We have recognition. We have affirmation. We have value and validity from God. Let's go share it with others. Lord, as we prepare our hearts now to come to the table, to eat and to drink the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, that the word that we hear from you now is that we are loved. You see us. You know us. You know the work that we do. You know when our motives get sideways, Lord, we repent for that. Would you help turn our motives more purely of worship of you? Thank you, God, that you know our names. You know how many hairs are on our head. You knew us before we were ever born. You know the ending of our story. And your word toward us is love. Help us to respond now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, friends. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Specifically appreciate you teaching us from the word and encouraging us this morning. We're going to transition to uh, communion right now. So go ahead and pull out the communion elements. If you didn't get them on the way in, uh, they are just outside the doors and just right in the middle there. So welcome those online as well. And I really appreciate that. And I'm going to have a little personal plug here right now because in North Seattle, my parents are able to join us. In, in communion, in, during, during the service. And um, I just need to say, hi, Mom, hi, Dad, I love you. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for my family. So now let's listen to the words of Paul and Jesus from 1 Corinthians in chapter 11. Paul starts off by saying, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, being fully God, And fully man. He knows us. He knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. He knows that we forget. So each week, he specifically asks us to not forget him. To not forget what he did for us. As Pastor Aaron shared, the only recognition that truly matters is God's recognition. That you are his son that you are his daughter, that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So in communion, 
we remember that we are saved to eternity with a loving God, a loving Father. And we remember that's by Jesus' body broken, by Jesus' blood shed on the cross of Calvary so that we could receive forgiveness, so that we can have hope in this life and in the life to come. So we remind you that we are not saved by anything we do, but only by what Jesus has done. So think on that when you take communion. Paul continues on. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So he tells us to examine ourselves before we eat. So eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So while our great musicians here share their gifts with us and play, take time to remember. Take time to examine your heart and your life. Confess sin honestly and without fear. Ask, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with the desire to want and to do God's will. Give thanks that he's adopted us in. That Jesus is not only your Lord, that he's not only your Savior, but he calls us his friend and his brother. Then when you're ready, take the elements. Father, we come into your presence only by the blood and in the name of Jesus, your son. Holy Spirit, direct our thoughts, direct our words and prayers now for our good and for your glory before we take the Lord's Supper. Then fill us with your spirit as we worship and celebrate the hope we have in Christ our Savior. And may we never forget. Amen.